Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Adam Hawkins. This episode is a small batch of software delivery education. If you enjoy this episode, then share it with your friends and colleagues. Hello, everybody. This week, I have a special bonus episode for you. It's an interview I recorded on the podcast Rails with Jason, hosted by Jason Sweat. Two years ago, we did an interview on deployment pipelines, pre-flight checks, and smoke tests. Unfortunately, that episode is no longer online, and I had referenced it in a previous episode of Small Batches. So Jason invited me back onto his show to talk about the same thing. And this episode turned out much better than our previous episode, in my opinion. We talk about the philosophy of building deployment pipelines, our roles and responsibilities as software engineers, the importance of pre-flight checks and smoke tests, just what they are, how you can do them, kind of a wide-ranging conversation on a bunch of different things, talk about the philosophy of DevOps as well. So this is actually the first of hopefully more interviews. There's actually a second interview coming where we talk about the three ways of DevOps. So without further ado, here is my appearance on Rails with Jason. Hey, today my guest is Adam Hawkins. Adam teaches developers how to ship faster and increase reliability. Adam, welcome to the show. Hi, Jason. Happy to be here. Uh, Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm initially a Rails developer, kind of started out with um, full stack development, uh, building and shipping applications. So always trying to own the full process from writing code all the way up to deploying to production, and then ultimately operating and running the application in production. And then I kind of moved farther away from building like user facing software, stepping more into kind of infrastructure management to APIs, and now ultimately ended up in a full-time site reliability engineer role where I run continuous delivery at Skillshare. Oh, nice. Um, Yeah, and today we're going to be talking about DevOps stuff because you're kind of a DevOps guy, and we're going to be talking specifically about testing as part of your deployment pipeline. And you know I talked about this a little bit pre-show. I've been... I've been taking on some DevOps kind of roles in my work recently, and I'm I'm very mm-hmm. new to this kind of stuff. I've been like exposed to DevOps stuff in previous jobs a little bit before, but I've uh-huh. never been the person who's like ultimately responsible for all the DevOps stuff until now. Because in my current job, there's nobody else to do the stuff. I have to do it all, so I'm kind of learning all of that stuff. So as right. it pertains to testing as part of your deployment pipeline. Where should we start? Well, I think it's good to kind of start from first principles. And uh, it kind of, like for me, it begins what you described, which is at some point you as a developer will be responsible for building, deploying, and operating this application in a production environment. That might be using something like, you know, Rails and then deploying to Heroku. And at some point, maybe that solution doesn't fit and you have to expand onto something like AWS or GCP or whatever. And then you have all these kind of questions. And like now for us as engineers, we're kind of swimming in this pool of all these DevOps ideas and these things. And the tools we have to actually execute our work are, we, we have a lot of choices. There. 
right? So like if you're on AWS, maybe you're using something like Code Pipeline or Code Deploy to orchestrate this. I know in your previous episode, you mentioned using Ansible uh, playbooks to automate your deploy process. Now there's all these kinds of uh, tools to actually automate the workflow of deploying software. So starting from there, I think we can pull the conversation back to what we do in the earlier phases of development, where hopefully we are using a test-driven development to correctly build uh, our application. And you know, when we're writing tests, this like there's a common you know there's a common setup which is do something that creates the preconditions for the test, do the thing that you know should create some side effect, return some value, whatever that is and then assert on the results. So you know, preconditions, execution, post-condition verification. And in my experience, this has been one thing that's missing from a lot of people's overall deploy processes. A lot of deploy processes are simply like fire code and just wait for some application to start and done. But in practice, that's not enough because there's a lot of things that can go wrong in in this process, you know, and as you have more complex infrastructure and more complex production environments, then there's only more things to go wrong. So what I try to do is construct pipelines that remove the possibility of failure. And this is something I brought up in the in our episode a while ago, which is I think that our job as software engineers is to ultimately remove all regressions from our whole process, right? Like if we are writing code that we know has problems, like known regressions that can be executed, then we're just not doing a good job. And I think we can use the practices we are applying in the application development cycle into the way that we think about deploying our application. All does right. that make sense? It does make sense. And I want to pause and maybe unpack some of that stuff because yeah, I, suspect that you, I, I suspect that you said a number of things that, um, that the listener might not be familiar with. So let's, right. let, me try to like, let me try to summarize what you said and you can tell me if I kind of have the right idea. Mm-hmm. So we talked about TDD and testing, mm-hmm. specifically like writing traditional normal tests for your Rails application or, or whatever. Right. Um, sadly, the state, of the, the state of affairs in the world is probably that a lot of application developers and, and development teams aren't even doing that much. They mm-hmm. might be doing no testing. They might be doing some testing, but not much TDD. Mm-hmm. Or, and then there's those very few teams that are doing a lot of testing and a lot of TDD. Uh-huh. But even beyond that, even if there's a place that's doing a lot of testing, they might only be doing like the regular testing that most developers are used to, but not this, there's this additional level of testing that you're talking about where you can, you can test your infrastructure itself. Maybe you can kind of take the baton from here because I'm starting to like, not do a good job of 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 grasping what you're saying but like uh-huh. we're we're talking about this different kind of testing can you kind of uh expand on that 
Oh yeah, of course. So actually, let me like pull this back. I think you and I have some common ground. We're both Rails developers. Like at some point, like I don't really work with Rails so much, but that was really how I got started with Ruby, building Rails applications, owning Rails applications, and ultimately building like pretty big Rails apps, and then moving into distributed systems with Ruby and a bunch of other stuff, right? So let me kind of bring it back to where this idea came from in my head. So as you know, and I think most of the listeners know, that uh, you know, Ruby is an interpreted language, okay? So if you consider a Rails application, there will be like a staging.rb file and a production.rb file. So it's possible, uh, and it might be likely, but it's certainly possible that there could be an error in one of those files. Like let's say that there's an error in production.rb. Let me give an example of things that have definitely, I know have happened <laughs> to me, and I will gladly like own the embarrassment for this looking back on it. So if you commit a typo to production.rb, that file may not be evaluated until you actually deploy the application to production and try to start the application. But what happens? Boom, there's a failure because the application can't start, right? So that's one of the kind of regressions that I'm talking about here. Yeah, your whole uh, test suite will pass, but then when you actually deploy it, it won't work. Exactly, right? So this is sort of the steps that come after what, like when you have run your test suite and you have like a green build on CI and you're thinking, okay, cool, I'm ready to deploy. Now when I deploy, what could go wrong and what do I need to check that is working correctly, right? Does that kind of make clarify it a little bit? Yeah, yeah. And not to get too much into the implementation details already, but like when you're deploying, l- let's say you only have one application server. If you right. deploy and you have a typo in your production.rb, then your production application is hosed. Your one single server that you have is, is messed up. So right. you must not do it that way. Maybe you do something where you have a, another instance or another set of instances and you deploy to those and you don't, you're not yet pointing any traffic to these new servers. You, you deploy to these, this, this separate batch of servers and maybe you perform some set of health checks on those. And only mm-hmm. after the health checks pass, do you promote those to being the real production servers? Is it something like that? Well, that's certainly one way to go about it. That's what, what, we're, what you just described right there is a kind of a combination of a canary release and a blue-green uh, type of release. So canary release meaning, um, let's say that you have 100 servers or, you know, yeah, 100 servers, you have a change, it, you're, you just want to verify that it's not going to cause any problem. So you deploy the canary to, let's say, five of those 100 and then watch the metrics like your errors or anything, you know, like errors, latencies, this kind of thing, and make sure that everything is functioning correctly. If you're confident that that canary doesn't, uh, you know, introduce any problems, then you can proceed with rolling out that change to eventually 100% of the servers. So that's yeah. one kind of risk mitigation technique, okay? In, in, in case it aids the understanding at all. It's called mm-hmm. a canary deployment because of the canary in the coal mine thing. Like exactly. Suppose, supposedly coal miners would take a canary down there in the coal mine and like if there is any emission of gases or like an, an absence of enough air 
the canary would die before it would kill a person and be like, oh, look, the canary died. We should get out of here. <laughs> yeah. So the same concept applies to deploying software. Like if you deploy something and it creates all these problems, then you should back off. Right. So the canary release, like the canary deployment strategy kind of uh, mitigates the risk of things that you can only test in a production environment. Like GitHub, for example, is known to do something like this because of the way load on their servers, interaction with Git data and these kind of things create conditions that are only, they only happen in a production environment, right? So you can use this canary workflow to mitigate that kind of risk. Now, the other thing that you mentioned is what we call blue-green, which is, let's say you have version A running and everything is running as expected. Now you deploy a version like version B, so green, for example. So you have blue running and you deploy to green. Then what you could do is switch over traffic from blue to green, right? So one goes from receiving 100% to 0%. And then you can test everything. And if something goes wrong, you can immediately switch back to the previously running system, right? So different kinds of, of risk mitigation. Mm -hmm. But so bringing this back to where we started, those are different kinds of deployment strategies. And regardless of whatever strategy you use to actually change the version of what code is running in production, you're going to have to do some kind of verification throughout that process, right? So for example, like in my case, my example of say having a typo in production.rb if you were using a canary, then the canary would fail immediately because the application wouldn't even start, right? So that would capture those kind of errors. And mm-hmm. same thing, same thing in, a, uh, in this blue-green scenario. But what I am kind of talking about here is that there is stuff that we can do to verify that we can even execute the deployment itself, right? Like if we knew there was a problem earlier in the process, we wouldn't even bother continuing through the whole process. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Right? So this is kind of how it started for me. Like, if I knew that I had an issue earlier on in the process that could be either ident- likely just identified by some, some kind of step or script or whatever, that I would prefer to identify that regression at the earliest possible time before you know before continuing yeah because if your deployment script takes five minutes to run but your production.rb is messed up and it's not going to fly anyway it kind of sucks to have to wait that whole five minutes to find out it'd be nice if you could find out before you even attempt a deployment exactly right so that's kind of the the one end of this is what i call um and i'm not sure if this like if there's another industry term for this but this is something that i just came up with on my own and might be similar to ideas that people already have or practices people already use, but I call them pre-flight checks. And the idea here comes from pilots, like, you know, flying planes that before they take off, they're one run through a series of checklists that say like, okay, I have the right amount of fuel. You know, I know where I'm going. I don't, I mean, I don't know what's actually on these checklists, but you know, the idea applies that they're going to run through some sequence of things before they actually decide to take the plane and leave the airport, right? So if any of those things are not met, the end result could potentially be catastrophic, so they must be avoided, right? 
So most of us are not flying airplanes, but I think we all agree that we don't want to do anything to disrupt our production environments. And that's where the pre-flight checks come in. Makes sense. So I understand conceptually what that's all about. Mm -hmm. What I can't immediately imagine is like the exact form that those pre-flight checks might take, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So for example, let's say that you have um, some kind of deploy pipeline, be it a script, Ansible playbook, basically anything that executes some series of commands or tasks to actually do what you need to do. So if we consider a Rails application, this might be some, running something as simple as running like Rails. I think there's a rake task for like environment, but kind of the, whatever the bootstrapping task is to actually load the whole application. So you could potentially write a rake task that loads the application environment and then tries to connect to things like database, cache, you know, test things like API keys, things of this sort. Oh, yeah, okay. Right, so then in this case, you know, like, okay, the application does in fact load and like kind of boot all the way, you know, you're not going to accept any traffic, you're just going to try to load the application and execute all those code paths that maybe haven't been executed before. And I think this practice, practice is actually especially relevant to dynamic languages like Ruby because there's a lot of conditional stuff based off environments and p perhaps like if other code is loaded, then new code paths are triggered, right? So you want to do something in our whole deployment pipeline that executes all that stuff before we say, okay, yeah, let's go forward with this. Yeah, so right? you, could, you could conceivably have part of your script that says like run Rails console dash E production and if just you're, put as okay, right? Like as if it would be enough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And if it if it works, then it works. If it doesn't, then something's wrong. Exactly, right? So and this I mean, this is not intended to be some like really specific type of test, right? This is like the mo it's just rudimentary type things. Like and I think you spoke about this in their previous episode about like what it was like to go from running on Heroku to then running on AWS and you have to kind of provision this infrastructure yourself. And once you start provisioning infrastructure yourself, then there's a lot of more ways it can go wrong, right? Like for example, let's say that you have created some infrastructure in AWS. So you have a VPC, that's your network where all these different things run. And then you have the concept of security groups, which is firewalls which you can use to say, you know, these parts of the system can talk to these parts of the system. And let's say you have your database in this case, so your RDS instance, like your Postgres or MySQL, whatever. But the infrastructure has been configured incorrectly such that your application server can't talk to your database. Now, Sorry, inconsequential side note. But huh? I, um, I learned something recently which like helped me understand something better. I've uh -huh. heard the term firewall forever because, you know, it's a common term people say. And I always have imagined a wall of fire, but that's not, yeah. it's not a wall of fire. It's like uh, cars have firewalls in them, like between the engine and the, mm. the cab of the car, you'll have a wall oh. so that if the engine catches on fire, the fire doesn't spread into the cab of the car. Right. And so that, like that metaphor makes so much more sense in, in what a firewall actually is. That's true, because it's more about like blocking stuff coming out rather than stuff coming in. So like usually like when we configure 
say, security groups in AWS were more about allowing incoming traffic rather than outgoing traffic, right? So in this case, like maybe you have configured the security group incorrectly so that for some reason the application server can't talk to the database. Now, yeah, yeah, and also like um, a firewall, like a real actual firewall would mm-hmm. be made out of some kind of solid matter as opposed <laughs> to a wall made out of fire. I've always thought like you know, a wall made out of fire, you can just jump through the fire. Like fire won't hurt you that much if you just jump through it real fast. So, I know, we've all seen it happen at the circus. Yeah, and you know, you get camping and, and uh, drink like half a bottle of whiskey and you start jumping over the fire and stuff. That I've experienced that myself. I don't know about anybody else. But that, that, um, that analogy like helped me understand the whole thing a little better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Right, so, you know, the concept here is there are all these kind of things that might be outside of your control or not, not outside of your control, but all these factors that influence the correct functionality of this environment you're deploying to. And you don't know all the ways that it needs to be right, but you can verify that it's not wrong. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Right. So like the most basic test could be something like as part of this whole pre-flight check, you're just going to connect to the configured database and run some sort of like simple query, right? That's your full end-to-end test. It says this application is configured correctly. It can access the database and do what it needs to do, right? Is even if we consider the simple act of connecting the database, we have to account for networking. We have to account for like other things configured correctly. I don't know how many of you, but I know that I have fat-fingered things like usernames and passwords or provided a wrong database or forgot that or like mistyped a port, right? Like it's not enough just to say that these values are there, but they have to actually be functional. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Right, because there's only so many times that like you can make a mistake where you ship some code like all the way through some environment and then explodes in that environment because something is either misconfigured or something is missing or some kind of infrastructure is wrong. And then you end up in this state where like maybe things are quote deployed, but they're failing for different reasons and you have to debug it. You know, it would just be much cleaner to say, okay, I wanted to deploy. Let's verify that, you know, A, B, and C all work. Okay, they do. Boom, let's continue, right? And then you can leverage things like the strategies you, strategies you mentioned, like canaries and blue greens or potentially even just like traditional rolling deploys. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. What else? Well, so that's so coming back to the discussion around like TDD, you know, you write a test, you're going to set, set up the preconditions, you know, assert that the preconditions are true. This is what the pre-flight check is. You're going to, you know, do whatever needs to be done to create the post conditions. And then you're going to verify that the post conditions are in fact met. So let me give you another embarrassing example from, you know, I don't know how many times I'm actually uh, you know, responsible for this kind of thing, but let's just say you deployed your application and you misconfigured the port that it's listening on. And the reason why this is important is because your application is going to have to receive traffic from somewhere, right? And if you've misconfigured the port, say, for example, if the lower load balancer is expecting your app to be listening on port 8080, but your app is only listening on port 80, boom, right? There's a problem. 
in the sense that the user who hits the app is going to receive some kind of 500 because the load balancer can't talk to the application, right? So the application started, but it can't receive any traffic. So from a user's perspective, the system is totally broken, right? So by the act of deploying the code, we need to verify that it is actually functioning. So a simple uh, example could be, oh, after I complete whatever this deployment is, I'll make a simple curl to like just, you know, slash whatever, like your domain is .com slash whatever, and assert that I get a 200 okay back. And like, that's, you know, that's it. That will capture or that will identify all kinds of strange regressions like, you know, networking is misconfigured or maybe for whatever reason uh, the application is not running on the right port or, you know, all kinds of reasons why this could not be working. But the point is here, at the end of the deployment, some kind of automatic verification has happened to say that, yes, it succeeded and it is in fact working as opposed to just succeeded. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Right. So like if we consider your like typical Rails application, you'll have a database, a web server, and like that's probably most applications, right? So uh, kind of an overview of the deployment pipeline like this would look like, okay, you run, you write this little rake task that loads the application and then like tries to do a database query. And if it's good, cool. That accounts for all that stuff. Then you initiate the deploy. Wait, wait, and sorry. Then, These are the pre-flight checks? Right, right. Okay. So like step one, pre-flight check. Step two, execute the deploy. Step three, smoke test, right? And that's the verification. Got it. So coming back to the example, in your pre-flight check, you might write a rake task that loads the application environment and then does a database query or you know maybe interacts with some third-party services. Okay. Completely unrelated question. Uh -huh. You don't say you don't say query. You say query. Are you from the northeastern United States? No. Oh, I'm from California. California. Oh, okay. I thought yeah. I knew my regional accents, but apparently I don't. Oh well, today I learned. I had no idea. Wait, how do you say the word M E A S U R E? Measure. Oh, okay. I, I do, do know that it? some people from like from like Arizona and Southern California, they say measure instead of measure. Oh, like what's yeah. M-A-Y? Like there's that uh, Merle Haggard song, um, Ramblin' Fever, the, uh -huh. the kind that can't be measured by degrees. Oh, measured. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting, like very, because so everything else in the like Southwestern accent is just like standard United States, except they say ma measure. Anyway. Yeah. If, if anyone was curious listening, Adam is from California. Okay, continue. Right. Okay, so we did the pre-flight checks. Then you execute the deploy and then verify. So you can make a, you know, a simple HTTP request that, like, you know, you're going to have some kind of health check request if you're behind a load balancer, like slash health or whatever. So hit that. Make sure you get 200 okay back or hit the homepage. Like hit, just hit some kind of request or some kind of endpoint that's actually served by your application and check you get a 200 okay. Like that's the, that's the basic type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it won't tell you what's wrong, but if something's wrong, it'll tell you that something is wrong. Right. And then that's when you kick in as the developer to say, oh, what's, what's wrong? And then you can go further and debug. And if you integrate this with 
you know, some kind of deploy tooling, you can use this to potentially like roll back a failed deploy or, you know, like if you had the blue green type thing you described earlier, you know, if the smoke test passes, you could potentially redirect traffic to the new version and then continue on with your verification. Or if not, you could just not redirect traffic and say, okay, I have to debug this. Like what, what, what went wrong here, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. So, you know, in order to actually execute these, this kind of process, you have to have something like some kind of way to execute this whole, for want of a better term, playbook, right? Mm -hmm. Like when we deploy, like by deploying code, you're going to like execute a known series of steps <laughs> that, uh, you know, you need some machine to do. So like Ansible is actually a really good uh, tool for this. You know, there's out of the box things like, even like the way that we work with tools like CircleCI, for example, right? You define all the steps in YAML and it executes them all, you know, these, these kind of things. Like even if you can even do it with a simple, um, just a simple shell script, right? You can like SSH into a server, do this or whatever, but, you know, I just want some kind of tool that allows you to um, kind of construct this whole thing as a pipeline, like certain things might be running in parallel or sequentially, and then be able to hand, you know, have some kind of structure for handling failures, right? Like what to do when things go wrong. So you can react to them in an automated fashion as opposed to a manual fashion. Like yeah. the idea here is that we want to keep known bad code out of production, and we should take all the steps that we can take Easily, like take easily and are known to remove identify regressions and make that part of our basic process, right? Like in mm -hmm. the same way that, like personally, like if I'm, if I'm not doing TDD, then I'm just messing it up. Like I think that's a fundamental professional responsibility that we have as software engineers. So, whoa, that could make a whole like contentious podcast episode right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. But you know, if you've ever worked, in a system that doesn't have tests, you know what it's like compared to work with a system where you do have tests. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My take on that is like it, testing is better than not testing. Like that's just objectively true. And if anybody right. wants to have an argument about that, we can we can have like an actual fist fight. Um, yeah, I, I know. I'm, I'm with you. I'll be on your side. Yeah, yeah. Well, two against one if, if anybody's going to come at us. Um, but like... Testing versus TDD, like test first versus test uh, after. I personally mm -hmm. don't do TDD all the time. And mm -hmm. I, I think TDD is better in certain situations, but it's not quite as hard of like, it's an objectively better way to do it than, uh -huh. than testing is objectively not better than, or testing is objectively better than not testing. That's my take anyway. Yeah, I see. It makes sense. Like then you get into debating on the implementation rather than the outcome, right? Like if I come to a code base and there's no test, I immediately just sort of freak out because it's like, what's going on here? You know, how am I, especially if you're going to be the person who's supposed to, you know, deploy and operate this code in production, how do you know that it's even working in the first place, right? So I'm there with you on the, you know, TDD versus non-TDD, but you know, at the end of the day, if there are no automated tests, then something is severely, severely wrong. That is true. And if you want to learn how to write automated tests, go to codewithjason.com. 
Um, but yeah, seriously, like, um, and I want to add for the listener, because honestly, there are a lot of people out there who are not writing tests and it's mm. not because they, it's not because they don't want to, it's because they don't know how. And it's a really mm. hard thing to learn. It took me a really long time to, to really learn how to write tests and not just learn how to write tests, but like understand what I was doing and right. why I was doing it. Cause it's one thing to like go through the motions, but I wrote a good number of tests in the beginning where I uh-huh. wrote the tests and I'm like, how is this test helpful at all? Right. Because right. maybe I was following a tutorial that, that had me write some tests that were actually bad tests that, that weren't valuable. So like even just that skill of learning what's a valuable test versus a not valuable test, that's a difficult thing to learn too. Oh yeah. I mean, the whole sort of scope of how to write effective tests, that's a like sort of a career like phase, I think. Like just to take on that requires a lot of work and a lot of practice, you know. Like I was lucky enough that when I started doing serious software development it was within the context of Rails and this is kind of how I introdu- got introduced to testing. And I just started learning testing through, you know, tutorials and discussions and all the books because, you know, like that in that point in time, the, you know, Rails approach was revolutionary, actually, you know, convention over configuration, all these things we got out of the box. Now, you know, like people take that for granted and it's been copied and emulated in a bunch of different ecosystems. But, you know, it was just a good environment for somebody who was not very experienced to say, kind of here's all the guardrails, here are the things you need to do, and here are the tools, right? And then it was just a, a matter of, okay, you know, if I find a bug, I should be able to write a test for it. And if I can't do that, then I need to learn how to do that. And it was that kind of disciplined thinking about application code that changed the way I thought about working with deploy pipelines. So given that you know, we as developers devote so much effort into removing bugs through tests in our applications, like we should be equally rigorous in removing regressions from our deployment pipelines, because that's where things can go. Like that's the last checkpoint you have before code goes into production. And regardless of whatever we do, if it's not working in production or it only matters if it's working in production, full stop. Right. Right. Yeah, that's true. And okay, so when, in your opinion, would it be the right time to start introducing these things? Because one could make an argument that at the beginning, the stakes are relatively low. Well, depends on the project. If you're working Mm -hmm. on a project at Google, you immediately release to millions of people. But that's probably not the case for, for most developers. In the beginning, the stakes are probably pretty low and your application has a small audience. And Mm -hmm. if your application goes down for an hour on a Tuesday afternoon, it's actually Mm -hmm. not that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, as things grow, this has been my experience with with the application I'm working on now. Like today, Uh if I did a deployment on a Tuesday afternoon and it went down for five minutes, I'd immediately start getting text messages being like, Hey, WTF. So right. 
and and our infrastructure has grown in sophistication over time to ensure that kind of thing doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So what's your take on like when should you invest how much in testing your infrastructure? T0, the same time you start testing your application code, right? And you don't have to be it's like going all in on it, but this is kind of a what I call it is like the opposite of technical debt as it's a technical investment. And you know, I'm not sure what your experience has been in this area, but in my experience when working with greenfield projects and newer projects, decisions made at the beginning of those projects, even if you think this project will only be like in flight or you know around for a month or two, it probably won't be. It might be around for years, you know? And yeah, like we've all worked on that throwaway prototype project where, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. after we finish this, we're going to start over. So don't worry if it's good. And then it, it gets finished. And they're like, oh, actually, like since this is already done, we're just going to go with this one. Yeah, right. And then next thing you know, you're working with that project for three years. Right. Yeah. So I think that anything you can do in this area as early on in the development process Maybe not the development process, but the overall life cycle of an application is is worth it. So, like for example, I recently did a project uh, for a client where I was building like a business to business app, and it was uh, there was a back end and two different front ends. So there was like, like a consumer facing application and a, like internal like business facing application, and they all shared the same back end, right? And you know, there was nobody using this application, but I built the deployment pipeline with all of this in mind because I knew that this code was going to continue to exist beyond my own like involvement with the project. And it would ultimately lead to more confidence who and whoever came after me. Plus, it was, you know, then you had the foundation to evolve all of these type of, you know, like pre-deploy verifications and post-deploy verifications as the application grew, right? And, you know, once the the client, he was a technical guy, he started working with the application and started deploying it and he made changes, but then that were caught by these by these checks in the deployment pipeline. And he's like, oh, thanks. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, you need that, right? We all need this, right? So like in the same way that if you write a new application, you're going to, uh, write some tests, like add some rudimentary checks into the whole deployment pipeline. Like, especially if you have a Rails app, right? Like you can just call Rails console dash E, whatever, you know, put S true. That accomplishes so much, so much, and it doesn't require that much effort, right? But yeah. if you put that in place, then you can add on to it as your requirements grow and the application changes. Yeah, so I'm I'm totally with you. Um, and I guess something that bears mentioning is that your skill set probably comes into the picture because like, even though for yeah. me, when I'm building a new application, I include testing from day one because it would be crazy not to, right. but it would be unrealistic for me to expect a brand new programmer who's never written a single test to, mm-hmm. to do TDD from day one on an application because they just don't have the skills, which right. similarly it wouldn't have been realistic for somebody to expect me to put all these uh, infrastructure tests as mm-hmm. part of my deployment process from day one because 
I'm building the skills in real time. I, I just wouldn't have been able to do that. And if I would have tried, I would have taken about 20 times as long and still done it wrong. <laughs> right. Uh, so that, that probably comes into the picture, right? Well, for sure. I mean, this is where our responsibility as more senior developers comes into the picture of, you know, demonstrating through actions how to do our work professionally. And, you know, new engineers can see this, learn from it, and kind of take that into their overall, like, mindset about how to approach the act of software engineering. And, you know, we all are learning from those who came before us, right? Like, I wouldn't even be able to be in this position here if I hadn't learned from all the people who built Rails and talked about testing and all these, you know, all these kind of stuff, right? Yeah, so, exactly. And, and that makes know, a good segue into, into my last question for you, because we're running a little short on time, which mm-hmm. is, I, w- I want to hear more about your podcast. What kind of stuff do you talk about on your podcast? And then just like mm-hmm. where, where can people find you online and learn more about this stuff? Yeah, so uh, like my kind of position and what I try to achieve through the work I do online is uh, like, I'm a firm believer in the three ways of DevOps. So flow, feedback, and learning. So technically this means uh, continuous delivery, like automatic verification through telemetry, and then striving to continuously improve all those processes. Like that's a really fundamental philosophy about how to approach our work. So that's kind of my first principles. And that feeds into my goal of teaching developers how to ship faster and ultimately produce more reliable software. Uh, So what I do on my podcast, uh, Small Batches, is discuss like high-level ideas about software engineering theory and business in like short episodes. These are like just, you know, five, eight minutes designed to, for designed for people who may not have encountered some of these ideas before to sort of grok them a little bit to get an idea what they are, see how maybe they fit into their overall like view of software engineering and how that they can use those ideas to uh, further improve uh, in their own career. Nice. Um, And we'll definitely link to that in the show notes. Any other links or resources or anything that you want to share? Yeah. So if you're, this might be something helpful for you and your audience. If you're unfamiliar with the ideas of DevOps, the ideas and the philosophy, along with some of the technical practices that we spoke about a little here, I have an email course you can take. I think it's the best uh, on DevOps. It's at freedevopscourse.com. And I have all of my information and like free courses on uh, hawkins.io. Awesome. Well, Adam, thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure, Jason. Always happy to talk to you. That completes this batch. Visit smallbatches.fm to subscribe to the show for free. Would you like a topic covered on the show? Then call plus one eight three three nine three three one nine one two and leave your request in a voicemail. Hope to have you back again for the next episode. So until then, happy shipping. Want to learn more about DevOps without wasting your time? and sign up for my free email course at freedevopscourse.com. My course combines the best from the DevOps Handbook, Accelerate, and years of software delivery experience. You'll learn the three ways of DevOps and the four KPIs of software delivery performance. More importantly, I'll show you how to put that theory into practice. That means shipping better software faster. Sign up today at freedevopscourse.com.